understand God's will for your life by being who Jesus made you to be right now. See, what happens is, is when we think about we want God's will for our life, we're always thinking about something outside of us. Like, I want to do something different than what I'm doing right now. But realistically, each one of us is already a whole lot of things in the world. And God wants each one of us to fulfill that place that he has us and be faithful there. When graduation approaches, kids in high school grapple with what they want to do with their lives. But this question of what's God's will for me doesn't end with your teenage years. No matter your age, you're faced with new situations and opportunities that bring up the question, what now? Well, today, Pastor Daniel shares that the answer to this question isn't always about changing your direction, but living fully in the place you are right now. Now, here's Pastor Daniel and Philemon as he begins his message, Jesus Changes Everything. Did you ever have something that seems so small, so inconsequential, but when you explore it more and you get deeper into it, you realize how extraordinary something can be. I remember the first time when I was in school and we started learning how babies were made in the womb. Though I'm not going to give you the birds and the bees talk today. That's for another day. But it starts with something so small. And I remember watching a time-lapse video of that fertilized egg and how it multiplied and multiplied. And then all this stuff happens. You're just like, wow. It's extraordinary, really. It's almost mind-blowing when you begin to think about it that something so small can become something so huge. And we're doing this series called Little is the New Big because we realize that in these little books of the Bible, they're small. They're only one chapter apiece. There's five of them. Although there's not a lot of verses and there's small books, the content and the concepts are so strong, so big that it's almost if you allow yourself to behold it, if you allow yourself to ponder it, if you allow the Spirit of God room in your life to be able to speak to you on this, some extraordinary stuff goes on. In a lot of ways, I'm wearing this shirt called Jesus Changes Everything. I'm wearing it for a couple of reasons. One, because it's one of the new Crossroads shirts and it's totally cool and everyone's like, hey, that's a great shirt, I gotta get one. And so you can get one here. But also Jesus is exactly like that as well. I mean, growing up in a spiritually kind of nominal Catholic family, we didn't talk a lot about Jesus. Even when we would go to church, we didn't really hear, like, there was all this stuff, but I didn't understand any of it. And I remember when I first started wondering about who Jesus was. And little did I know that this, in the English, this five letters, J-E-S-U-S, this person, such what would be a simple concept, has absolutely overwhelmed my own life. And so I've entitled today's message, Jesus Changes Everything, because out of all of the five little books of the Bible that we're studying in the Little is the New Big series, the one that we're going to begin today is probably the one that most people don't understand why it's in the Bible, if they even know it's in the Bible at all. So we've already looked at the book of Jude, we looked at 2 John, and so we're going to start our third 
book in this little is the new big series, the book of Philemon or the book of Philemon or Philemon, depending on how you dig syllabification. We realize that we don't have the divinely inspired syllabification. So you can choose the one you want. So open up in your Bibles to the book of Philemon. That's my chosen one. Most people are like, so there's a book called Philemon in the Bible? Yes, there is. So I want to get you there. So pull out those Bibles. I'm going to get you there. Now, the book of Philemon is pretty easy to find because in the New Testament, right, that last third of your Bible that tells about Jesus, you have the four Gospels and the book of Acts, right? These are all narratives. They tell the story of Jesus and then the story of the apostles. And then you have Paul's letters, right? And Philemon is the last of Paul's letters, right? So if you're looking through your Bible, it's right before the book of Hebrews. Now, some people believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Some people believe he doesn't because the Bible doesn't say, as I always say, we're going to remain silent on who the author of the book of Hebrews is because in the end of the day, we know the Holy Spirit wrote it through a person. Who cares who the guy was? Amen? Yeah. Holla. Okay. So But if you have strong feelings about who wrote it, then praise God, you know, but my Bible doesn't say it, so you can make a case either way. But right before the book of Hebrews, there's this one chapter book called Philemon or Philemon. Maybe after service, you can tell me what your preferred syllabification is, but it's in between the book of Titus and the book of Hebrews. And if you're part of our online audience or you're part of Facebook Live, don't forget, open up another browser window and type in Philemon, and we're going to study this book. Now, again, People don't really know what's in the book of Philemon. If you know that it's in there, it's like, you know, how many of you are like, yeah, the book of Philemon is like my life book in the Bible. Yeah, I haven't met one person in my entire Christian life who's like, this book, it just speaks my language. But I'm here to tell you that Philemon, as a book, it's deceptively powerful. Because for most times, we don't, like, I don't know anybody who even has a memory verse out of the book of Philemon. I've never actually had someone, yeah, you know, this verse really speaking to me, Philemon chapter, you know, verse four. So it's like, it doesn't have all those things that you pull out, but it's deceptively deep. It's so seemingly like, what's the big deal that we almost miss how profound this is. So I'm really excited over the next couple messages to be breaking this open with you because I really, for many people, they've never studied it before. And so without further ado, let's just jump right on in here. Look what it says in Philemon. There's only one chapter, so beginning in verse 1. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is your greeting or your introduction to the letter. And if you've read Paul's letters, you find that he, this normal salutation, it's who he is, he tells a little bit about himself, and then who he's writing to, and tells a little bit about them. And then normally, like in verse three, you have this grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's fun for me as a Bible teacher because, you know, I don't want to just endlessly repeat myself. But repetition is the greatest teacher. So I'm always like, well, Lord, what do you want to speak to us fresh out of this introduction, this little greeting here? And what I have for you is something beautiful. God really ministered it to me, which is this, that you need to be who Jesus made you to be. You need to be who Jesus made you to be. Now you might be like, okay, so that's great, but where do you get that from the text? Well, notice we find that Paul, he's a prisoner, right? Timothy, he's a brother. Philemon is a beloved friend and he's a fellow laborer. Aphia is beloved, and Archippus is a fellow soldier, and then there's the whole church that is with them. Now, you notice that there's all these 
places in society, these offices that each one of these people occupy. And it got me thinking because as a pastor, one of the questions I get asked the most by people is, well, how do I know God's will for my life? That's my favorite question. When I say that, I don't want you to stop asking that. But I always end up answering the question the exact same way. And it's always, well, you understand God's will for your life by being who Jesus made you to be right now. See, what happens is, is when we think about we want God's will for our life, we're always thinking about something outside of us. Like, I want to do something different than what I'm doing right now. But realistically, each one of us is already a whole lot of things in the world. And God wants each one of us to fulfill that place that he has us and be faithful there. Like, when someone says, what's God's will for my life? I'll always say, well, are you married? Yes, well, then be an amazing husband or wife. Are you a parent? Yes or no. Then glorify God in the way that you nurture and raise your kids. Do you have a job or you are in school? Yes. Okay, so do your schooling as unto the glory of God on mission with Jesus or do your work. You know, and I go through this whole thing of all the things that are you an aunt? Are you an uncle? Are you a child? Are you, you know, all these different things. And in a lot of ways, for most people, they want God's will for their life to be something outside of who they are already. And I believe that God's will for our lives is unpacked for us as we are faithful being who Jesus made us to be in the places that we are. Because the Bible says that if you're faithful in the little things, God will give you greater things. And so for each person who is addressed here, they are occupying a place in the world that Jesus has placed them there, and God wants them to step into that and embrace what it is, not try and find a way out of it in the name of God's will. So for the Apostle Paul, it says he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul, his ministry was tough. I don't think many people would go into the ministry if they said, well, listen, the Apostle Paul's ministry, that's what your ministry is going to be like. Because the Apostle Paul served Jesus so well that he ended up in and out of jail all the time. Because of the gospel, not because he was doing something nefarious. He was preaching the gospel. And, and Paul's got all sorts of things that went on in his life where literally he preached the gospel and they tried to kill him numerous times. He ended up in and out of jail. And at this point, he's writing to Philemon from prison because of Jesus. Notice he calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. But you can think the apostle Paul, he's in jail. He's like, well, okay, well, this whole Jesus thing I really screwed my life up real good. You know, but what's he doing? He's writing letters from jail. He's doing ministry. He's doing prison ministry because he's there because of Jesus and he's going he's gonna to occupy that position and serve the Lord. And this whole book is literally centered around Paul's ministry from jail. The reason this book is being written is because of Paul's ministry while he's been imprisoned. You see how powerful this is? Because oftentimes people say, oh, well, you know, like, I wanted to be a missionary, and then I got married, and my spouse doesn't want to have anything to do with going cross-culturally for Jesus, so I guess I can't do anything, and I'm just going to mail it in. No. See, you be a good spouse, and you allow the Lord to leverage the differences for the furtherance of the kingdom. Maybe you become part of God's work in the kingdom, but not by you going, but by sending other people by helping support, by praying through it. See, what happens is, is for Paul, he doesn't see his imprisonment as a hindrance. He sees it for the furtherance of the gospel. And he talks about that in the letter to the Philippians as well. So Paul, he's a prisoner. I love this. Timothy is a brother. Now you guys know, Timothy, Paul wrote two letters to Timothy, first and second Timothy, right? Timothy was his son in the faith. Paul was his mentor. Paul 
encouraged Timothy along the way, but now he's a brother in Christ. So in some ways, Timothy's not in jail, but he's there with Paul. And you think about the family of God being brothers. Think about being Timothy. His mentor's in jail. It might be a little thing like, yeah, you know, I've studied with Paul. You know, he's in the pokey right now. You know, he's making license plates for the Roman Empire or something, you know. <laughs> That's my guy, you know. You could see him being down on Paul, but Timothy's there with him. He's a brother. And isn't that when you really know who your true friends are? Your true friends aren't the people who are there with you when you're riding the wave to the top. Your true friends are the ones who are with you when it all crashes and burns around you. Isn't it true? But you know what happens in the family of God? When somebody has a tough time, everybody runs for the hills because they don't have the heart of Jesus. They're worried about what people may think of them. We don't have a lot of this in our Bible, but you can imagine the things that people were saying about Paul. You know, oh yeah, Paul, the reason he's in jail is because he's really not a real apostle. I mean, you know, all the stuff that was going on, because all of his letters are full of all the struggles that are going on in the early church. But Timothy is there. He, I love this. He's our brother. And then, of course, you have to Philemon. This is who the letter is written to, our beloved friend and our fellow laborer. So we learn about Philemon, that Philemon is a beloved friend. He's somebody who's there with them. And also, he's a fellow laborer. He is part of the work of the kingdom. Now, don't miss the word laborer there. It's not exactly our favorite word, but the work of the kingdom is the work of the kingdom. It's work. Like all good things in life, the work of ministry is hard and it's work. And I think that's why, and so often, people don't want to get involved in the work of the kingdom because it's labor. It is. Like, I look at not only Pastor Ryan and Megan and the Crossroads Kids team, but I look at all the 250 people who served at VBS. Now, I don't know about you, I got three kids at home. Like, I'm going gray over that. I'm trying to imagine 900. I came in and out a couple things, I was just like, you know? But when you see what God does, see, laboring, laboring is a problem when there's no fruit. But in the work of the kingdom, when you labor for the work of the kingdom and fruit is born in people's lives, there is nothing more beautiful than that. Like I talked to someone just on Friday. I'm like, how you doing? They're like, man, I am wiped out. I am exhausted. But what God did this week makes it all worth it. I'm like, there it is. And my friends, be willing to labor for the things that matter most. See, Philemon is there. Now, Philemon is the recipient of this letter. I'm going to get into the meaning of the letter in a second, but you also meet this woman, Aphia. Now, church history would tell us that she was most likely Philemon's wife, so she gets a non here, but she's beloved. And that speaks of our relationship with the Lord. God calls each one of us beloved. God loves you. See, that's what this is all about. The reality is that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die on a cross for your sins. And when all else fails, when everything else fails around you, that reality should be the anchor that holds us down. You might say, and people say all the time, they say, well, I don't feel God's love. And if you don't feel God's love, you just got to look at the cross of Jesus Christ. I always say, when you're feeling God's love, you're not worried about it. But it's at the times when you're not sensing God's love, God's love is objectively displayed at the cross of Jesus Christ. So on the moments when I wake up, those days when I wake up and I'm like, oh, man, you know, I have those moments. And I'm like, man, I, you know, God, I'm a train wreck. I mean, how can you love me? God always says, Daniel, look at the cross. My love is displayed there for you. 
So in those moments when you don't feel it, when it's not subjectively experienced, objectively you look at the cross of Jesus Christ and you know that God loves you because greater love has no other than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. Jesus died for us. I want you to get comfortable with that. Like put your name in there. The beloved, insert your name. People say, hey, what's your name? Say, I'm the beloved Daniel. People might be like, well, who do you think you are? I'm like, I'm a child of God. I'm the beloved one. It sounds a little bit pompous, right? You're like, yeah, don't use that, Fusco. But you know what? It's still true. It's like you're beloved by God. And get comfortable with that being who you are because I'm here to tell you that when all else fails, that is who you are. That's who you are. You're beloved of the Lord. You're beloved of Christ. Just like Afi. And then, of course, you have this other brother in here, Archippus. He's a fellow soldier. Now, it's another good reminder. Not only is the work of the kingdom labor, it's also war. I don't like using dramatic language just for drama's sake. And I realize that as somebody who's never served in our armed forces, I feel like, man, I can't really just like roll out like war language, you know, because it's cool. But the work of the kingdom is a battle for the souls of people. And that battle rages every single day in every single sphere of every single one of our lives. Right now, there is a battle going on for your soul and my soul and your neighbors. And everything that goes on in the world is part of that battle that's going on. And I was just talking to someone, you know, we created a new position called the pastoral apprentice. We had a number of guys who went through an interviewing process. We brought one of these guys on. And I sat down with him and I said, hey, listen, you just have to realize that when you come to know Jesus, you switch teams in the battle. And when you start to serve, you find yourself in the infantry. And when you decide to go on staff as a pastoral apprentice, you just land on the front lines. And I'm like, so when bullets start flying, remember, you signed up for this. <laughs> and I say that because that's real. That's real. That you, when you step into the game, there's a war going on, and it would be nice if we had like a dignified idea of war, but it's not. It's a battle. And I'm here to tell you the enemy of the souls of humanity doesn't play nice. He doesn't play by the rules of engagement. All he wants to do is steal, kill, and destroy God's glory and our joy. That's all he wants to do destroy lives. And so there's this battle that's going on. And Archippus. He's a fellow soldier. He's part of it to the church in their house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love verse three. Grace and peace. We always say, I say this all the time. I never get bored of it. You cannot know peace unless you know God's grace. You have to realize that. You can give peace a chance, but if you don't have God's grace, you will never be able to truly be a peacemaker because it is through God's grace that God fixes what it is that caused the lack of peace, and that is us and our rebellion against God and our lack of self-sacrificial love for other people. So grace has to come before peace. It's always grace and peace. It's never peace and grace. You need God's grace first so that you can come to peace with God and experience the peace of God. That's why we always put Jesus first. And many of you, even right now, you are trying to be at peace in a situation, but you're trying to do it without first leading with the grace of God. God's riches at Christ's expense, the finished work of Jesus, and you're finding that you can't get there because you have to lead with grace. The way God has treated you in Christ, now you seek to pass that along to somebody else. And then you can be a constructive peacemaker. 
Because you know it's hard when you're trying to make peace, but you're not leading with grace, and in your attempts to make peace, you're just making more destruction. We've all had that experience, haven't we, in some ways? Where you're like, yikes, but that's the way it goes. Grace has to lead this, because God's grace comes first, and God's peace is the fruit of God's grace. So Paul and Timothy are writing to Philemon. Now, what's this book about? And I want to give this to you up front, because I think that this is super important. Really what you're going to find is that while Paul was in jail, there was a runaway slave named Onesimus who comes to know Jesus. And Onesimus ran away from Philemon. And Paul wants to send Onesimus back to Philemon. But what's amazing is, and I never thought about this before, when I was a young pastor, I used to spend a lot of time with a about a 74-year-old Orthodox Jewish man named Chaim Kokstein. I've talked about him before. Became a good friend of mine, and we would sit in the Starbucks in downtown New Brunswick, New Jersey, and we'd yell at each other about Jesus. And it was really fun because, you know, Chaim was a, he was an amazing guy, but he's like, he used to call me pastor after a while. I was like, Pastor Daniel, can you come to the church? He's one of the first people who started coming to the church that I started in New Brunswick. And he'd say, you get it. He's like, all you Christians, you try and share about Jesus with the Jewish people, you're too nice. Argument is our love language. You know what I mean? And so we'd be sitting there and he'd be drinking his espresso and I'd be drinking my whatever I was drinking and we'd be fighting and be, you know, and he's like, and he loved it. He's like, I feel loved by you, right? And so and we had this great relationship and like even like, you know, he spent about two and a half, three years with me at, in New Brunswick and then he actually made Aliyah the right of return. He moved back to Israel and Lynn and I and Obadiah, we went and visited him. He lived outside of Jerusalem in Talpiot. And it was really super fun because I remember one day he's like, the Apostle Paul broke the law. I'm like, well, yeah, that's why he believed in Jesus. He's like, no, no, no. The book of Philemon, the fact that's even in the Bible is bad. And I'm like, really? Why? And then he took me to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 15 and 16. Listen to what it says. You shall not give back to his master the slave who has escaped from his master to you. He may dwell with you in your midst, in the midst which he chooses within one of your gates, where it seems best to him, you shall not oppress him. Now, I didn't realize, I didn't know that those verses were even, I never really thought about it. But he's like, no, no, the Apostle Paul, he's getting the law wrong because Onesimus was a runaway slave and Paul is sending him back and that violates Torah and Paul should know better. <laughs> I was like, where are you going with this now, Fusco? But I call this message, Jesus Changes Everything. Because as we go through this book over the next number of messages, what you're going to find is that Paul isn't violating this law. Jesus, in his transformation of Onesimus, absolutely transforms their relationship as well. Jesus is It seems like everywhere you look, there's discord. Whether it's political, racial, interpersonal, or something else, tensions are high. Peace seems like a pipe dream. Today, Pastor Daniel spoke to this when he shared that true peace cannot happen without grace. To be a peacemaker, you need to know God's grace first. Grace has to come before peace because you need to be at peace with God to be able to work toward peace with others. Everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, 
and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will get at why Paul would send a runaway slave back to his owner when doing this contradicts the law of Moses. He'll explain that because God changed Philemon's life, Paul wasn't sending back a slave, but a brother in Christ. In his great grace, Jesus changes everything. He transforms how we see each person and every situation because it's seen through the filter of his love and grace. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Little is the New Big. Until then, may God bless.